The following podcast is brought to you by Radio Southland and New Zealand On Air. Radio Southland is a community access media station based in Invercargill, New Zealand. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website, radiosouthland.org.nz, for our contact details. Art is Our Perception is proudly supported by Arts Manehiku. Check them out on Facebook. Are you involved in the arts in Southland? Are you an artist? Is your organisation involved in the arts? Do you need more people to know what it is you do? Media training, social networking or website development? Do you need help with professional development? Or just getting in touch with the right people? Talk to Arts Morihiku because they're here to help. Email them, kia at artsmorihiku.co.nz or look for them on Facebook. The Arts Advocates for the South, Arts Morihiku. This is Radio South and 96.4 FM. You're listening to Art is Our Perception. And our thanks to the good folk at Arts Marihiku, the arts advocates here in Southland. If you want to know uh, what's going on in the arts or you want to make use of their uh, services and their facilities, check out their Facebook page, Arts Marihiku, or you can email them, kiaora at artsmarihiku.co.nz. For this edition of Art is Our Perception, we're joined with Aaron O'Connor, who's still the reigning Southland Entertainer of the Year, <laughs> yeah. uh, going back from that was the 19, uh, 2019 show that we had in 2020, and there wasn't one in 21. Uh, so congratulations for getting the, <laughs> yeah. the, the double serving. I know, look at that. Uh, we wind the clock back a few years to when that first single came out. Can you remember that period of time? I still can. Um we sat in here, we had a chat about it because, uh, frankly, it was pretty darned impressive. And actually, through the, the interviews that we're doing in the, in the lead up to the, um, Southland Entertainment Awards, the question was asked, um, about an album. And we're now at that stage where it's almost here. Yes. Yes. It's, uh, two weeks away. Um, so how does it feel to be at this point? Because you've, you've proudly birthed each of your singles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've watched them. Perform really well, yeah. Uh, and and now you've got this complete collection. Uh, songs from the reading room, by the way. Yes. Um, let's start with the title. Where did that come from? Uh, funny story, actually. So um, I was catching up with some friends when I was recording in Auckland uh, for the album, and we we didn't have an album name. I was thinking of maybe titling it off uh, one of the tracks, as you know, as people often do. Mm. Um, and I was catching up with some friends that I used to go to primary school with. And we went back to one of their houses and we looked through, it was our old, I guess, like year six yearbook, you know, and, and it had photos of all the all the kids in our year. Um, and underneath there was, you know, aspirations and all of that sort of stuff, what we wanted to be when we were older and favourite things we remembered from school. And a lot of people would put, oh, I remember um, one of our teachers would would take there was a kid in our class who was always acting up, and he'd take him next door into the reading room, and you could you could hear him banging on the walls and and yelling at this yelling at this kid because he was always just playing up, and when he'd come back he just looked mortified, um, and we always like everyone from that year remembers the reading room, and I don't know why but we just had a big laugh about it, and when we were recording, um, we were talking to uh, my producer over a Zoom call. And he was asking, oh, do we have any, you know, names for for the album? And then my friend sort of piped up and goes, oh, we could, we could call it Songs from the Reading Room. And we all sort of laughed. And then I went, hmm, 
you know, well, that actually, uh, that might work. So we, we chose it off basically just this old story that, um, something that I suppose connected me and my friends back to something from the past, something just a little funny thing that we all sort of had a bit of a laugh about. But nice. Yeah, you just come out of nowhere. You touched on your producer there and, and Zoom. When you recorded your first single, you mm-hmm. went to Nashville. Yes. You formed a relationship with some people over there that seems to have assisted you through the, the, the past while. So is it still as a result of those connections that you've worked to produce the album or have they led you to new people? No, it's uh, it's still the same. So after the first one, you know, I recorded my second single, Let Go of My Heart. Um, I couldn't go to Nashville for that, or, or rather I didn't choose to because the first time it was kind of, you know, go over there for the experience, have a bit of a holiday. You know, it was all through the gold guitars mm. as well. Um, and after that I thought, well, I'm not going to spend the money just to record one song. But I still stayed with Jay, uh, and he used a lot of the same people on the next song. And when it came to the album... Um, he said again, yeah, we'll use a lot of those people, but we're going to bring in some new people as well. So over the, I think it was over the three days we recorded, well, they recorded over there, um, Jay played drums the whole time and the keyboard player, Billy, they were the two constants over the three days, but every day they would bring in a new guitarist and bass player. Okay. Um, so one of the bass players was a guy that had been on both of my last songs, um, and then the other times were just some other friends that he knew that were top-class players. So now they're kind of in that circle as well that I would use next time, you know. After those three days of hearing the kind of different styles, you kind of hear ones that stick out that you like most, and next time you might sort of choose a few of them and put them all together for the whole thing. So your work, where did you go to, to capture that? As in? Where, where did you record? Oh, my work, of course. Um, I went to Roundhead Studios in Auckland, Neil Finn Studios. Yeah, so I wanted to a place there. Are these are studios that overlook the beach? No, no? this is uh, Newton Road. Okay. Yeah, um, so it's it's quite unassuming. You wouldn't know it's a studio. You you just drive past it. There's a, there's a green door with some gold lettering um, on the main road. That's it. You don't see anything. There's a way intercom, and they buzz you in, and then it's, you know, then it's... You can tell it's a studio. Neil lives upstairs. Um, He's got a full apartment and stuff up there. Uh, His wife's got a a wee shop on the corner that sort of attaches to the studio. And then they've got um, Studio A on the main floor and then the brick room downstairs, which is where I recorded. So did you bounce into them while you were, you know? I did. Uh, After day one, I think each day we were there for four days. Uh, There are 10-hour days. Um, After day one, we we got a lot done. We got most of the guitar tracks done for my parts. Um, we were leaving and one of the uh, engineers there asked if we wanted a wee tour. So just by chance, we ended up actually staying later than we were going to. So we looked all around the big main studio and uh, they showed us master tapes of things like, you know, Don't Dream It's Over, stuff like that, that it's right in front of you. And you're going, little, ooh, oh my God, yeah, that's, that's like history there, you know. And then when we were leaving, we walked into the car park and um, Neil just like, he drives in. And one of them said, I think that's Neil. And I said, oh, no, nah, it's probably probably not. But sure enough, he gets out and there's about five of us and we were all just staring at him. So we come over for a bit of a yarn and we ended up, um, you know, getting a photo with him and stuff. But I think we actually taken his car park. Ah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Mm, oh, well, whoops. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, so you talked about the fact that you were doing 10-hour days at that point. Now, creatively, that's a long time to be pouring stuff out. 
Yeah, but I mean, we had the songs um, already done. So the Nashville part had come before this. Um, so the, the kind of the basics of the song were there. Um, we were just really going there to do all my parts, all my vocals, guitar parts, um, any extra things like baritone and 12 string and any guitar solos if I wanted to add them, um, things like that. So the four days was kind of generous, but I mean, day one was almost half of that at least was set up, just setting up microphones and setting up amps and getting sounds and getting things right because, um, again, Jay had to... He was there on, on Zoom calls for 10-hour days, which he would... Lord knows what time of yeah, the day for him. he would come in after he had just finished a full day of work in the studio in Nashville. Right. So he had not much sleep for those four days um, to the point where when we'd go on a lunch break, he would have a, a sleep for an hour and then we'd call him back and then we'd, we'd get back into it because, we were, yeah, we were leaving at um, 8 at night, I suppose, every night. Worth it, though, because... I mean, thanks. I've had a chance to have a listen to um, to the, the the tracks on the album, um, and it sounds awesome. Yeah, it's it's. A, Is it uh, what you imagined? Yes and no. I mean, some of the songs um, come out exactly how I thought they would, and some, I guess, kind of evolved over time because when the guys recorded in the studio, um, they had literally been given right then and there in front of them. They got played each song once. And it was just me playing acoustic and singing um, to a click track so that they could basically put it into all the, you know, recording software to a click track and then they could all just have a chart written in front of them and then they just went, go. And then they put their own spin on it and did things that I went, oh, you're like, you know, I wouldn't have done, I wouldn't have known to do that. Especially the keys player, he's the one that I loved listening to the most because he'd, he'd play stuff and I'd just go, oh my God, it's it's just changing so much. You know, it all went from being pretty basic country stuff to having a lot more, like, uh, Pink Floyd and Beatles-type vibes to some of it, and then the strings. Well, that's strings, it, because I don't you think know. you could pigeonhole the album. No, it's, um, even when people ask me, like, oh, are you a country musician? I say, well, yes, but, and the album's definitely got country music on it, but I think if anyone else sung some of those songs, it could be, you know, some of it could be sort of that Pink Floydy era rock stuff mm. if you had a different vocalist singing it. It's probably just because I'm singing that it turns out a little more country, but um, it's got a lot of different influences on it. But I mean, not not uncommon, and let's, no, I don't want to compare you to Taylor Swift, but there's someone who went from real country origins who's moved into pop, but actually I can listen to her voice and still go, there are country roots in there. Oh, yeah, for sure. And and the same, in, in many respects, applies to you. Yeah. There, there is a, a vocal style that you have that's not overtly country, but, you know, you can feel the origins of it in there. Yeah. And, and what are some really well thought out uh, and constructed pop songs um, and you know it's 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 been nice having giving you some feedback as, as each of the singles have come out because they've just been so bloody good the thing that I really like about the album as you know as someone of your father's vintage is I can listen to it oh god that hurt <laughs> is I can listen to it and go uh, what's your opening track when when the darkness comes around? Yeah, uh, which is it's a great way to start the album. It really is, but there's this fantastic orchestral reprise at the end of the album. Yeah, so it's like an album because it's it's bookended. 
that's honestly that's exactly why I wanted to do it. I think at the time um, when I well when we recorded when the darkness comes around, that was almost going to be the title track of the album just because I loved that song so much, mm. um, and I loved it more as it sort of progressed, especially when we got all the strings on there uh, and things like that. Because it gives it a, a very different feel, and yeah. and and the arrangement, it's uh, it's beautiful, it's full, yeah. Uh, there's, it just goes to show that you can take a selection of notes and give them so many different tones and, and feels from the different instrumentation that you use. Yeah, I mean, it, that one just it just got bigger and bigger the more we worked with it, um, which I was happy about because that was one that I, I really wanted it to sound how I thought about it in my head, you know. When I write all, these, all the songs, um, you, you kind of have an idea of what you want it to sound like, which is which is hard to tell someone if you can't play those certain instruments. Like, we're coming from a family of drummers, I understand drums very well. I know exactly what I want to hear as a drum part, but I wouldn't be able to tell them technically what I want to hear. I have to kind of literally, you know, sing out a beat and go, I oh, kind of like this, and then they'll play something and I'll go, yeah, that's it. But when it comes to things like keys or strings, again, apart from having to hum out a tune, um, I can't tell them in technical terms what I want. So, you know, someone, there was a guy that arranged all those string parts. Um, and then we would listen to them back first before we said, yeah, that's cool, before it went to the string section to then record. Um, so we got a, we got to at least listen to what they were going to do. But I was I was so happy with everything that we didn't need to change anything. I was going to say, has that been the beauty of this collaboration with the, the, the different musicians that you've been able to work with, each of whom who's good enough to just let them go and see what they come up with? Yeah. Yeah, like honestly, most of them it was like one hit and they would get what they wanted and they might go back to go, oh, I want to change this part or I think I can do something a bit better here. But they honestly, they come up with ideas so fast and just the sounds were all good. Like there was no going back and going, oh, that didn't sound very good. Let's try it again. Like they just, everyone was very professional, you know. They didn't have to spend hours and hours getting sounds and getting things like they they come in and they just press play and kind of just did it. So the process of producing 12 tracks for an album, um, now that you've you've gone through it, mm-hmm. firstly, how eager are you to do it again? Oh, very. And then yeah. how long do you think it will take you next time? To write all the songs or to do the whole thing again? To write the material, because I guess creatively, are you? how's it affected you? Uh, again, it was a big boost to to write so many songs, but I think I I've only written a few songs since. But I think it's just because I've been focusing on getting singles out and promoting the album and trying to do everything I can for this one that I kind of put all my energy there. But um, when we sort of decided, right, we're going to do this album, um, I just sat down and I just wrote from October to. I think May or March, I wrote about 16 songs, which for me is a lot because before then I only had two songs out and one more that I'd had written in my life, really. I didn't have many songs there. So um, I was just writing all the time, and it helps. Like, everyone will tell you that, like, just write, write, write. But then you've got to kind of have something to write about. You've got to want to do it. Um, So I think having the album the idea of like making that album and knowing that I was going to do it definitely pushes you to then go, right, I need some songs. 
but I think yeah, you, you definitely need the content. I'm not someone that can just sit down and write a song just because, mm. you know. So I think I'm definitely eager to do it again. But it's there's that slight nervousness of now that I've got an album that I'm I'm quite happy with, like what do I do can next you, time? Can you back it up? Yeah, like do I do I do twelve more songs? Do I do more songs because I've I've got an album with twelve songs? Like can you go back to doing less? Can you go back to just putting singles out? It's like it's kind of. It, well, hopefully, but not only some that, doors, but music videos. Yeah. So uh, it, you know, in the in the singles that you produced recently, there was the the music video that told the story of uh, struggles in a relationship, mm-hmm. which was just so cleverly put together and amplified. I guess one of the could have been's what could have been the message. Well, it was the message uh, of the story, which was for too far gone. Yeah. Um, is is that the next part of the creative process? Oh God, I've produced twelve songs. I want to actually take eight of them and turn them into videographies. Well, I mean, again, with Star of Your Own Show, that was never really supposed to be a single. We we decided it would be, and it, it made for a good single. But we didn't have a video for it, and I had literally no idea of what I wanted for a video. But thankfully, we had all the um, our friends up uh, in the studio with us when we were recording um and they come in for three of the four days and shot tons of footage just to use this promo stuff and then we went maybe we've got enough for a music video so we made a second one but i mean some of the songs i have a clear vision of what i would like to see in a music video which too far gone was pretty much how i wanted it to be that's what i thought of whose track were you driving um a friend of mine's dad's. Right. I just put a thing on Facebook and said, hey, I need to find a truck. And he just said, I've got this, uh, you know, old Ford F100. Okay. If you want to use it. And, I mean, you know, it had about that much play in the steering when you were driving. And if it got too hot, it would uh, stop and you had to you had to wait for, you know, half an hour for it to cool down and things like that. Some but, more water under it. Yeah. Go. Oh, it was, it was an absolute um, beast to drive, you know. You've got a new single uh, that's out, When the Lights Go Down. Um, what's the background to that one? Um, that was, I, I wrote that with a guy called Brad Sample from Nashville as well, who he actually played on the track as well and played the solo on it. Um, and he was one of the guitarists that played for one of the days, um, on all the tracks. But that was basically, you know, I go to Queenstown every week to play, to play gigs and, you know, as you do, I become friends. Barrel on the Wharf, by the way, in case you're wondering. Barrel on the Wharf, yes. Um, I sort of, you know, become friends with a lot of the bar staff there. And I remember just talking to one of them one day about just working in the bars and stuff like that. And they said, oh, you know, you know it doesn't pay very well. And, of course, living in Queenstown, it's so expensive to live there. So, and of course, with being in hospitality, most of them, slash all of them, when they're finished for the night... They go out drinking with their friends. So any money they do have, they spend there. So it's like, it's that kind of trap of, Queenstown's a lovely place and it draws so many people in. And so, you know, they're kind of like, oh, we're lucky lucky to be here. But at the same time, it's, they can't also afford to leave. Yeah, they can't really you're afford never going to gonna get rich. <laughs> no, can't afford to stay, can't afford to leave. And it's kind of like, they, they almost should be miserable, but they're still kind of happy doing what they're doing. And they still go out at night and they still enjoy the you know the town and and catching up with their friends so it's like on one side you could look at it as as a pretty bleak type thing but they somehow still enjoy life and still go and do that sort of stuff so it's like when the lights go down in in town that's when they sort of 
come alive and that's when they go and do all their own sort of stuff so so each yeah. weekend you've got four hours round trip um do you use that time creatively or um, just sit there getting white line fever well to be fair i i play music all the way up and all the way down and i sing the whole way i shouldn't because i know i've got three gigs ahead of me and even if the voice is feeling a bit rough, I can't help it, you know. I put music on, I sing. I get to the gig, I sing. I drive home, I sing. Um, and so, it, to me, it's just like driving to work now. People always are astonished when I tell them at the end of the gig, you know, they're going, one more song for the third time. And oh, i got to go home. And then I go, I've got to drive home. And they're going, oh, where are you going? And I said, Invercargill. Oh, you got to drive all that way. And I'm like, it's, it's just driving home for me now i've done it so many times that it's just hey it's a commute at 100 kilometers per hour yeah people and, and no one's on the road at that time spend that time on a car and and travel four kilometers yeah yeah i'm lucky and i mean it, you know it's an easy drive like i said with a bit of music on it's um it's peaceful so i don't mind it so how's the household feeling um fiance family everybody now that you're at this point where you're dropping an album yeah it's good it's good. It's just exciting, I suppose, because um, I don't really know what's going to happen next. Like, I've got a publicist um, in America who's trying to help every way she can to try and do things over there to get interviews and um, reviews with, you know, like Rolling Stone Country and stuff and trying to get songs on Netflix and Hulu and trying to organise a tour over there, you know, as a support act for someone. So it's just hoping that any one of these little things will sort of happen and then that might open some doors you know like for i don't want to speak too soon but most of the people that i've seen like a lot of my friends in australia that release single after single after single it keeps them going and then they slowly start playing these festivals but it's i've noticed it's when they've released an album Mm. their first album that things have just started to happen for them i think when you've got a body of work like that that really shows who you are um i think people probably take you more seriously um, and are willing to give you a chance maybe as a as a festival act or to do a tour or, you know, to write about you in a magazine or something like that, you know. So it's just hoping, fingers crossed, for the best. Songs from the Reading Room is the album due out very shortly from Aaron O'Connor, a couple of years in the making, and I can tell you having listened to it, well worth the wait. Uh, congratulations on getting to that point. Um, Thank you. Fingers crossed that... Um, you do get that uh, momentum. Yes. Uh, I, I think the the work deserves it. You've got a, a, a voice um, that when I listen to it, it's it's pure. You know, I, I, I would like in your voice and Jenny Mitchell's voices together because there's a, there's a tonality to them that just you, you can listen to and you can actually almost peel the instruments away and go, gosh. Uh, it's it's really nice. I'll take that. Um, and when the lights go down is the new single. So we're going to play that now uh, as we wrap up this edition of Art is Our Perception. And uh, thanks to Arts Moriheku for uh, their support. And thank you, Aaron O'Connor, for joining us. Thanks very much for having me.
Are you involved in the arts in Southland? Are you an artist? Is your organisation involved in the arts? Do you need more people to know what it is you do? Media training, social networking or website development? Do you need help with professional development? Or just getting in touch with the right people? Talk to Arts Marihiku because they're here to help. Email them, kiaora at artsmarihiku.co.nz or look for them on Facebook. The Arts Advocates for the South, Arts Marihiku. The preceding podcast was brought to you by Radio Southland with the support of New Zealand On Air. Their funding of accessmedia.nz makes these podcasts available. To find similar programs by other stations involved, go online to accessmedia.nz. 